We're going to get into the Word. If you've got your Bibles, uh, open them to Mark chapter 2. Or if you're taking notes, you can write down Mark chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. I don't want to scare anybody. We've got a new uh, graphic here. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to continue to do that. But I just kind of wanted to change things up as we keep journeying through Mark. I, I just felt a sense that we need to talk about this being on the road with Jesus. Uh, you know, we're following, going through different stories, different events and moments in his life. And in this way, we kind of get to just journey along with him. We get to tag along, be with him. Uh, that was the thing is his disciples, whenever he called them, he said, come follow me, uh, follow me. And so they live their lives on the road with Jesus. Where he goes, they go. What he does, they observe, they marvel, and he tells them, hey, you do this too, and they go do it. And so even in that early bit of his, uh, you know, of the church, the disciples, they were literally just there on the road with Jesus. And that's what I want for us. I want for you, for me, as his church, I want us to be on the road with Jesus. There's a lot of, as uh, Brother Jan mentioned, there's a lot going on in our world, and there's a lot... A lot happening, a lot of dark things, a lot of difficult things, and sometimes the temptation can be to scramble and to to stress and have anxiety and all this pressure. What do I do? How do I do it? How can I live life right now? Well, at the very basic, at the very base minimum, we need to be on the road with Jesus. We need to be following that man because he's just as active now as he was here whenever he was on the earth in the flesh. He's sent his spirit to come dwell with us. He's on the move. He's doing. He's speaking. And you and I, if nothing else, we need to be on the road with Jesus. We need to be following him. So that's the reason for the screen change. But the rubber meets the road. We're still going to be doing the same thing. We're journeying through Mark. So Mark chapter 2. We're going to start here in verse 13. Um, Speaking of being on the road with Jesus... Uh, we're going to be looking at the calling of a disciple, someone who Jesus came and said, hey, come follow me. Uh, He's done this before with some fishermen that we met previously, but now here's a new disciple that we're going to see who is from a different background, lives a different kind of lifestyle, and praise God for that, honestly, that all of his disciples do not need to look the same. They don't need to have the same background. They don't have to have the same, uh, you know, values, whatever. People can follow Jesus from any kind of walk of life. So thankful for that. I'm, I'm busy getting into the preaching. So let's stop for a second and let's pray. Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Thank you for your presence and your spirit that is speaking. I thank you, God, for your revelation words spoken to us, over us, and into us this morning. Lord, we open up our ears to hear what you have to say. God, more than just a story, more than just my ideas that I want to share, God, we want to hear your prophetic, life-giving words spoken over us. And so, Holy Spirit, we stop, we listen, and we wait for you to do that work. Thank you, God, for your word, for your life that has been written down for us to see and to learn from. God, I thank you for what you want to do with it this morning. We put ourselves on the altar to you. We want to follow you. So God, give us the grace to do that. 
In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Mark chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 13. And before I start, I'm going to just tell a quick little story, okay? So this, uh, this is loosely associated with what we're going to be getting into the Word today. So we're going to be um, uh, looking at a guy's life who, whose name brings some funny connotations to me. So whenever we came to this person that we're going to be reading about, I was brought back to a taxi ride that I took one time. And I probably talk about Uganda too much. Sorry. It's, this happened in Uganda. And whenever uh, we were living in Uganda, Callie and I, we, many people had different kinds of names that just like were not familiar to us. Obviously different language, but then even sometimes in English, like it just, things that we wouldn't expect, like not typical naming for what we see here. So anyway, we get in the back of this taxi and it's pretty late at night and we sit in the back seat with this guy. We're scrunched up. We'd just done our grocery shopping. So we had bags and we're talking to this man who was so nice, so kind, and uh, we knew like, okay, this is going to be a good 45 minutes of fun conversation with this guy. So he starts talking, we introduce ourselves, I say my name's Micah, which usually comes out as Meek or Mika or something like that. Callie introduces herself, and he says, okay, yeah, well, my name's Levy, and yada, 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 tells us about himself, and I'm like, trying to find a point of reference in my mind for this guy's name, Levy. I'd never heard anybody named Levy before. So then, a little ways into the conversation, he says, yeah, the whites, I don't know why, but the whites call me Levi. And I thought, ah, yes, okay. So uh, anyway, that was, that's my little story, because we're going to be seeing a disciple named Levy, uh, aka Levi, if you are from around here. Uh, but Anyway, that just reminded me of that. So we're going to hear about the calling of a disciple named Levi or Levi, depending on where in the planet you're from, and uh, see what it looks like Jesus calling him. And again, I said before, previously, uh, he had called some disciples. They were fishermen that he called off the boats and off the water. He said, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Well, Levi, his story looks a little bit different. And again, like I said, praise God for that because sometimes I'm a little bit different. And I know all of you, many of you at least, you can be different. And it's okay for us to be different and look different, act differently sometimes. But God comes, he calls us just the same to follow him. So anyway, we're going to read this story. I'm just going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll back up through it a little bit as we go, because the story is just good. Mark 2, verse 13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen, amen. 
Y'all, I'm glad to hear some amens to that. I'm glad that whenever we hear the words of Jesus, that he came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. I'm glad that I hear amens, because the point of that is we need to see ourselves in that. We need to see, man, God calls sinners. Thank God, because that's me. Because that's, that's where I'm at. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I'm glad I'm preaching to the choir this morning. So praise God for that. But listen, I want to say this too. Just as much, I mean, I believe that. I believe that God came to call sinners. I, in my flesh and on my own strength, by myself, I'm a sinner and I need him. I need his grace. So I know this to be true. Yet at the same time, I believe God wants to share something with me. I believe God wants to bring new revelation to me. I believe he wants to bring new revelation to you. So let's open up our hearts even to what God has to say through this calling of a man named Levi, a tax collector, to be one of Jesus' followers. So we're going to back up into the story a little bit and read this. So 13, he went out along beside the sea and the crowd was coming to him. This is at a place where Jesus had, he had started his ministry, been in the temple preaching with authority. He had healed a leper. He had healed a man who was crippled. He had healed all kinds of people and taught with all kinds of authority. So the crowds were starting to come. They were starting to grow. Uh, so he was surrounded and he, they were coming to him and he was teaching them. And here it is, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. So Levi, the son of Alphaeus, honestly, I don't know a whole lot about all these languages and the meanings of names and words. This, uh, the fact that Levi was the son of Alphaeus, I look at that and I think there's a reason why the writer put it in there. Like when people talk about me, they don't always say that's Micah, son of Randy. Maybe they should. Randy's a great guy. Um, I say that even when he's not here. So, but it's not always, not every person. Uh, person in scripture has that. So this Levi, son of Alphaeus, maybe there's something to that. So I looked and Alphaeus was like a Greek uh, word, offshoot of a Hebrew word that meant changing, like to change. And honestly, how cool and how beautiful, because what we're about to see even in this story is Levi being a person who can change, who is changeable. Y'all, people can change. That's a, honestly, that, that'll preach right there, but that's not the whole message. But people can change. The Levi, the son of Alphaeus, changing, sitting at the tax booth, sitting at the tax booth. So Levi, the son of Alphaeus, is what it looks like, a tax collector. And so I want to talk about tax collectors for just a little bit. I don't know everything about tax collectors in Jesus's time, okay? So well, I'll just put that on the table right there. But there are some things that I can gather from the way tax collectors are talked about in the New Testament and in the Gospels. So I looked up tax collector and tax collectors uh, to like see, because I have this connotation, anytime it talks about tax collectors, it's, gr it's almost like a twin cousin or twin brother or sister of sinners. Even here it says he sits with sinners and tax collectors. And I imagine as people are talking about tax collectors that it just kind of drips off of the mouth like poison. Like I hear a snarl even as it's written on like words on the page. I can like feel a snarl coming through tax collectors, sinners and tax collectors. And honestly, there aren't a whole lot of um, 
there aren't a whole lot of professions that I could think of that would, like, the profession, the thing that you do automatically equates to, like, being a bad person. Maybe we talk about politicians in the same way in our day and age. I feel like if you call someone a politician, there's just this automatic, uh, if you are a politician, praise God, we need you. But sometimes it just kind of, I mean, honestly, preachers sometimes get, you know, oh, the guy's a preacher. I'm not, that's not for me. I'm just saying. Lawyers maybe, uh, I don't know. But it seems like nothing even that we have right now really equates to the just growl that could bring out talking about a tax collector. And so this Levi tax collector the, one of the reasons, honestly, um, is because just being that profession, just being in that profession carried with it so many assumptions of if you are a tax collector, well, then th- that must mean blank, 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 blank. So I sometimes I criticize our own time and place and our own culture too much because uh, maybe you've heard things about like cancel culture. I feel like this is very prevalent from what I see on things like social media and just kind of in the public sphere of it's easy to just like if you say the wrong thing, if you do the wrong thing, there's no place in our culture for repentance. For someone to say, oh man, I didn't know that. I'm sorry, I repent. And for that to just be okay. People, on the other hand, get canceled. You do something wrong, you say the wrong thing, you're done. You, the, you are not worthy of my friendship, you're not worthy of my time, whatever. It's easy to get canceled. And honestly, it's easy to think that that's like a disease of our time and our age. But I see it right here. Even in Jesus' time, this man Levi, the tax collector, honestly, I think a lot of Jews in that time would be like, say no more. Levi the tax collector, that's all I need to know. You're a tax collector? You're a traitor? Because there was this thing of tax collectors, they would get money from their own people, from the Jews in that area. They would get it probably to give it to a guy named Herod Antipas, who was the local leader, who would give it then to the Roman Empire, who was the ruling, subjugating, we don't like Jews, people of that age. The empire. So he was like an arm, a tool of the empire to go get money from the poor people, even probably fishermen. It says that he's beside the sea, a tax collector in a tax booth beside the sea, probably getting taxes from fishermen who, remember, are Jesus' followers. So the ones that Jesus has already called, they're like, yeah, I know this guy. He took money from me just the other day. So here, the, here he is seen as this person who's taking money from the poor, salt-of-the-earth people who are just trying to make a living and giving it to the emperor in Rome who already has more money than he knows what to do with. So why are you taking it from me? And then there's also this connotation. We don't know from the story necessarily if Levi is one of these people, but many tax collectors were known for skimming off the top for making their own money and even more padding their own uh, pockets with extra from the taxes that they would collect. So you could say that there was a sleaziness connotation with it. Again, tax collector, there's a reason why this is just dripping from the mouth like 
mud tax collector. So this is who Levi is. But again, Levi, son of Alphaeus, changing. The man can change. Something different can happen. And so he, as this tax collector, Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. And he rose and followed him. That, that line of this story is maybe one of the most profound. Jesus says, do something, and the guy stops and does it. Jesus said, follow me. He rose and followed him. Think about your own life for a second and think how much distance there is between Jesus saying, hey, go do this, and you getting up and going and doing that. So Levi, the tax collector, there's maybe something to him that whenever Jesus says do something, he does it. There's no in-between, uh, maybe, I don't know, probably shouldn't do that, doesn't make sense financially, as yeah, probably a huge risk. No, Jesus says, follow me. He rises and follows him. So we've already got something to learn from this man. Now here's where it gets really good. Not like it hasn't been good up to this point. He reclined, and he reclined at table in his house. And many, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So now we're getting into the good stuff. Not only, it's, it's one thing for Jesus to see Levi, the tax collector, out in his booth, out and about, walking around and saying, hey, come follow me. And yes, he gets up and follows him. Now we're going a little bit deeper. Now we're going a little bit deeper because now Jesus is at the guy's house. And he's sitting, relaxed, putting up his feet. He's going to stay a while. Reclining at his table and not only Levi is there, but many sinners and tax collectors are there eating with Jesus. And so here's something that I want to say to you. You can come to church. Many people come to church for different reasons. Some people, and honestly, I've been both of these people in my life. Some people come to church feeling like, yes, I'm following God with my life. I, I feel God's righteousness in my life. I feel like God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to church to recharge, to be encouraged by the people around me, to pray for one another, feeling like you've got something to offer, but still something to gain. And then there are some people, honestly, who come to church. I've been this person as well, who come in feeling like I am the most wretched, most sinful Loser of a Christian that there ever could be, if I can even call myself a Christian, just really feeling down on myself, feeling like I don't belong there, feeling like everybody else has something figured out that I don't. And here's something cool that I guess both people need to know, but I guess I'll speak specifically to those people who come into church feeling down on themselves, feeling unrighteous, feeling unholy, feeling like the sinner and the tax collector, even if you've never done tax collection in your life, but feeling like whatever that bad person is, if you're feeling that way, I want to tell you something that Jesus shows us from this story. Jesus not only cares enough about you to ask you to follow him, Jesus wants to come sit with you. Jesus wants to come recline at table with you. Think about this. Think about how intimate that is. Some people can get down with the idea that like, okay, maybe God doesn't hate me as much as I think he does, but he doesn't want to be close to me. He doesn't want to be near me. He doesn't really want to speak to me. He can't use me. 
think about how many people you've invited over or been to their house for dinner over the past year. I don't know. Maybe other people have different like family cultures than me. For me, it's not like an everyday thing. I, can, I could probably say if I spent just a couple minutes, I could literally count every single person that I've invited into my home for dinner or that I've been over to their house for dinner. You don't do that with people that you are just casually acquainted with, right? Am I in the wrong place? Is that I really need some kind of, I know. I don't think, I don't think that that's just like an everyday Joe Schmo. Yeah, 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 come over for dinner. I think that you are pretty close to the people that you invite into your home or that you go over to their house for dinner. So that's true even for us here in this day and age. And in Jesus' time, honestly, even that much more. Literally, okay, if you look in the book of Acts uh, with Cornelius, a guy named Cornelius, literally God had to show his disciple like a whole big picture in the sky, give him a big vision just to soften his heart enough to go have dinner with this guy Cornelius who was a Gentile. So like, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to open up enough to go have dinner with somebody or be have somebody have dinner with you. It's a big deal now. It's probably an even bigger deal back then. And here Jesus is reclining at the table with sinners and tax collectors. If you came in this morning feeling like I'm the unrighteous, I'm the unholy, I'm the unworthy, God doesn't want anything to do with me. Listen, this is the Jesus that we're on the road with. The Jesus that you and I are on the road with right now is the kind of Jesus who wants to come and sit in your house, recline with you at table and have dinner with you and stay a while and be with you and be into and close with you. He wants to be your friend. He doesn't just want to tolerate you. He doesn't just want to hold his nose and be like, okay, fine, yeah, you come into church too. Sorry, I didn't know. (laughs) That's not the kind of Jesus that we're with. Jesus is the one who's like, okay, that's you. That's your stuff. You're the sinner tax collector. Okay, let's roll up my sleeves. Okay, let's have some dinner together. Let's enjoy one another's company a little bit. That's the kind of Jesus that we're on the road with. That's the Jesus that we're here serving. And here's the deal. If that's the kind of Jesus we're serving and you and I are called to model our lives after Jesus, being a Christian is being like Christ, then that's what you and I need to be ready for too. So, he stays a while. They were reclining at table with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. Now, The scribes of the Pharisees, when they heard that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, look at what they saw. I want us to pray that God would open our eyes to see his way. Because here's what they saw. Here's what I just read. In verse 15, I read that there were many sinners and tax collectors who followed Jesus. I read there were many sinners and tax collectors who followed Jesus. Y'all, that sounds like a praise report to me, right? If you see that, like if we were to advertise, hey, look at all these sinners who follow Jesus now. Praise God. They're shouting. Let's have a baptismal. This is great. Awesome. Well, what did they see? What did these scribes of the Pharisees see that, man, uh, Jesus, 
He said, he has ears to hear, let him hear. He, he told people that he spoke in parables for this reason. He said that those seeing, they wouldn't actually see. And having ears, they wouldn't actually hear. Because he wanted his, the things of his kingdom to be hidden to the people who would try to mess it up. And honestly, so here they are. They're seeing what we're seeing. Sinners, tax collectors coming and following Jesus. Yay, Jesus. This is good. They see that exact same thing. And they ask the question, why is Jesus sitting with sinners and tax collectors? Now they're asking the wrong question. Have you ever, you know, this is what perspective is like. If you're married, maybe this is, honestly, if you've been friends with anyone. If you're a human being, you know this experience. Have you ever looked at something and seen one thing and talked to a person sitting right next to you and it's like they might as well have been in a whole different room, different, honestly, I mean, even just like taking a look at our news, like you could go to Fox News and they could be telling one story of one event that happened. And you could flip over the channel to MSNBC. Same thing that happened, but it's like, are these people seeing the same thing? This is day and night. This is different. And so we see it in our news. We see it individually that like, no, that is not what I meant. No, that's not what I saw. No, that's not what... You can look at the same exact thing and see something completely different. I think it, there was something tossed around on social media uh, years ago of a dress that like half the people were seeing gold and the other people were seeing black or something like that. But it's, this, it's how our perspective, you know, like so much of our experience is just how am I seeing this? What's my angle of it? What am I looking at? Y'all, repentance is saying my angle is not good enough. God, show me your angle. And the beautiful thing about God's kingdom and about his spirit dwelling inside of us is that if we yield to that, if we pray that prayer, if we make that truly our heart's desire, he will do it. He will make that happen. His, his sight given to us. And so if we're looking at this experience with God's sight, we see, look at all these people who are sinners and tax collectors who were oppressing God's people just yesterday, who were living their own way and doing their own thing and not regarding God at all just yesterday. And now here today, they're following Jesus. Good. But if our eyesight is not yielded to God, then we'll look at it and be like, how terrible of Jesus. How terrible of it. How could Jesus be doing this Eating with bad people. Y'all, same thing that they're seeing, but perspective is different. We need to ask God, God, give us eyes to see your way. Give us ears to hear what you have to say. God, show us. God, God show me the people that I'm interacting with in my day-to-day -day life the way you see them. God, show me my spouse the way you see them. Show me my kids the way you see them. God, show me the person who's uh, checking me out at the grocery store, how you see them. God, show me my enemy the way you see them. There are a lot of different examples that just shot through my mind of enemy. Who do you consider an enemy? Really think about that. Is it someone of a different political persuasion? Is it someone of a different background, a different skin color? Is it someone of a different 
ideology, a different generation. Who do you see as your enemy? Ask God to show you that person the way he sees them. So the beautiful thing about all this, and and honestly, I could read this verse all day. Verse 17, again, they they ask the wrong question, but still Jesus has the right answer. Thank you, Jesus, for that. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Again, if, you, if you're here this morning, you think, man, I'm a sinner. Jesus came to call you. He, he didn't just come to put up with you again. He came to call you to come follow him. He came to be close to you. He came to be intimate with you, to share meals with you, to sit in your house, to stay a while, to enjoy life with you. He came to be close to you. Jesus loves you so much. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'm not a sinner. Well, then you don't need a physician. But here, there is a balance to this. Again, so, so I guess the question would be, are you well? Again, he said the well don't need a physician. So the question is, are you well? And if you look at your life and you say, well, I'm, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. Well, then, okay, maybe you have no need of Jesus. Which makes you need Jesus. <laughs> but if you are well, and honestly, here's the balance. Because some people, maybe it's in false humility, whatever, will just run around all the time running themselves through the mud. I'm a sinner. I'm just a piece of trash. I'm just nothing. And yeah, they'll tack on, thank Jesus for saving me there at the end of it. But really, it's just a whole lot of bad talking about yourself. Some people talk about themselves the way that they wouldn't talk about their worst enemy. Say how terrible they are, how useless they are, how worthless, whatever. So there's a balance here. And the balance comes in grace. The balance is grace. Because, yes, the truth of the matter is, the fact of the matter is that by myself, in my own strength, my own trying to do it, I am a sinner. I am worthless. I am useless. But the beauty of grace, the beauty of the story of grace in Jesus Christ is that I don't have to say that about myself. I can say, I am righteous. I am holy. And it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. It's because of him laying down his life for me, paying that price for that sin that I lived in. And I can walk in newness of life. I can be like Brother Jim was saying. I can be an ambassador of Christ. I can be that person that people look to and they say, wow, that looks like Jesus. Not because of my own strength, but because of his grace in my life. That's the balance here. So this message, please do not misunderstand it. Please do not say that we need to go from here just head down like, I'm a huge sinner just like everybody else. Well, yeah, you know, that's where we started. But good news is we don't have to end this life where we started it. And in Jesus, in his grace, we get to go and honestly, we could puff our chest out a little bit of, Man, I'm a righteous person. But just remember where you got that righteousness. Remember where it came from. Remember whose it is. We're, we're operating in, we're acting in a righteousness that is not our own, but Jesus has given it freely to us. 
So if you are well this morning, who made you well? That's a good question. Who made you well? Did you do it? Because if you did it, rewind, come back a little bit. No, 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 you're not well. But if, you've, if you're here this morning, you're like, yeah, I'm well, and Jesus made me well. It's because of him and his righteousness alone. Then good. Praise God. You got a physician. And that's who he's here for. He says that he came to call not the righteous, but sinners. A pretty cool thing about this, if you look in the Luke account, the Luke account, um, it says this, the same story, but, he, but the way Jesus ends it, this is in Luke 5.32, uh, the way that he ends it, is says, he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. To repentance is how he finishes that sentence. We have this awesome, awesome gift from God called repentance. Again, it's like the antidote to cancel culture, right? Because if you can't repent, then yeah, you should be canceled. Because what, you know, what you're thinking today is the you know, tragic ending to the rest of your life. You can't change. You can't be different. You can't go from one degree of glory to the next. No. But repentance is this beautiful thing where today I can say, you know what, I think this, this is what I believe, but God, I'm going to put that on the altar to you. And if this is wrong, God, I repent. Make your ways my ways. Make your thoughts my thoughts. A beautiful thing called repentance. And this is, I love talking about repentance in this way because it sounds like, uh, it sounds like one of those bad things, right? If you grew up in church or in like a religious area, you probably heard the word repent in the same way as like, you're going to die and go to hell anyway, but repent so that, you know, I don't know, so that you can be repented in hell. I don't know, some people have really bad connotations with the word repentance. Um, I mean, myself personally, sometimes I view it that way. I, I think of someone yelling at me. I think of someone being really mean and... I don't like mean people. But repentance is a beautiful thing. Again, in the book of Acts, this is so cool. In Acts, the Holy Spirit is doing things, just like with Jesus. In Jesus, this, this episode with Jesus is like doing it completely different than people thought that they would. He's a rabbi. So these tax collectors, these sinners coming to him, it's totally different. That's why he says, repent, change the way that you're thinking, because what I'm doing is different than what you have a point of reference for. So get used to repenting, because I'm going to shift it on you. I'm going to change things up a little bit. I'm going to upset your do-gooder sensibilities sometimes, and I'm going to do things differently, so repent. Change the way that you think, follow me, is what Jesus said. And the Holy Spirit was doing the exact same thing in the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, there's this time when uh, Peter, it's whenever he goes to Cornelius' house, he's preaching, and these people, these people who are Gentiles, who are not even Jewish people, start to speak in tongues, and like they start to experience a life-shifting moment with the Holy Spirit, and so he's like, wait, time out. If the Holy Spirit is falling upon them, I'm going to have to not withhold baptism from them either, you know, like... We're going to have to do this. And then he goes and tells people in Jerusalem, he's like, hey, this is what I saw. I was preaching these Gentiles. The Holy Spirit fell on them. I think we're going to need to include them too. And they said this awesome thing. They said, well, then too, to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
God has granted to them. It's like it's a beautiful thing. Well, okay, if God has done this, then he's granted to them, even the Gentiles, repentance that leads to life. Now, repentance is a beautiful thing. If you can say this morning that, yeah, on my own strength and by myself, I'm a sinner. And God's grace has been poured out so freely to me. God, I repent of where I go wrong. God, I repent of where I think about it wrong. I repent of where I'm doing it wrong. I repent of the sin in my life. I repent of the things that aren't necessarily sin, but they're just getting in the way of you working in my life. I repent, I repent, I repent. And it's a beautiful gift from God that leads to life. How wonderful. How wonderful. So here's the deal. We all need to repent. Every single one of us, we need to repent. So we need to also have a church, have an attitude that is willing, ready, and able for the people that are not like us to come and experience the goodness of God's repentance too. Because, yeah, come on. Hey, that's good. I like that. People who want to follow Jesus, those are our people. If they were on drugs last night and this morning they want to follow Jesus, they're our people. If they're doing whatever piece of stupid a couple minutes ago and here they are, they want to follow Jesus, they're our people. That's our people. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. These are our people. Sinner, tax collector, drop that label. They are following me. If they are following me, there are people. Even, you know, Jesus is, I'm going to stop preaching after this. Jesus' disciples came up to him one time and they said, hey, we heard some people casting out demons in your name and we tried to get them to stop. Thinking that they were doing a good thing, telling, telling the teacher. They, we, we tried, we did our best. And Jesus said, don't stop them. Maybe some people will come to follow. Maybe they'll come to me and all of this. He said, if they're not against us, they're for us. These are our people. That's not to say that God's not calling anybody to repentance. Again, this is the balance of what Jesus is saying. Some people will hear like, oh, well, Pastor Micah said that we don't need to worry about the sin in people's lives. Well, honestly, maybe you don't need to worry about the sin in people's lives. Maybe you need to call them to repentance just as Jesus does and allow God to worry about the sin in their lives. Because he really does. Sin kills people. And God cares about that. But you know what keeps people trapped in their sin sometimes? Religious folk that say that they can't change. They can't do anything different. So we're preaching to the choir now. We're going in a good direction. I'm going to end with this. 1 Timothy chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul. This is his view, again, of seeing ourselves through the grace of Jesus, seeing myself as that sinner who needs a physician, that person who's unwell in need of a physician, but so thankful for the grace of God. 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. 
But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful picture and way that the Apostle Paul saw his life. Yes, Jesus came to save sinners. I'm the biggest one. I'm the biggest, baddest sinner in the bunch. But praise God because he saved me, poured out his grace on me so that my life could be like a signpost to others to say, if God could save that guy, look what goodness God can pour out to others. Y'all, if once we start to see our lives as, hey, this is that kind of righteousness that you can't touch because you're making bad decisions and you're a bad person, we've got it all wrong. But if we see our lives as like, hey, look at this righteousness. Look at what God's put on me that I didn't deserve. Look at how good of a life I can live. Look at how righteous I can be, not on my own strength, but because Jesus saved somebody who was messed up, God can do it for you too. That's the kind of grace-filled life that we need to be living, showing in front of others. God calls us sinners into repentance and a life full of righteousness and holiness by his grace. Thank you, God.